You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. I am so thankful to be here with this, uh, this morning with you guys preaching. Um, I really feel like God has given me a word to share with you guys, and so I'm very excited about that. Um, if you guys uh, were here with us just a few weeks ago, on the first, Josh did a message called The Heart for the Home, um, and he talked a lot about our team values as a church, and with that, he spoke a little bit about our history as a church and where we've come really over the last three years since our family moved down here and how much has changed in the church and in our own families' lives. Um, But I want to take a moment this morning and kind of um, tell you a story about my journey down here. So uh, when we came uh, three years ago, the 10 years leading up to that, we had been part of a church in Washington. Uh, We'd either been on staff, part-time, full-time, but this is the place that I gave my heart to the Lord. I mean, I grew up in a Christian home, and I had those Christian values, but this is the place that God really gripped me. This was the place that he spoke to me. This is the place where I decided that I was going to give up everything and follow him. Um, This was the place where Josh and I got married. Um, It was the church that we bought our first home in, and it was the church that we had our adorable daughter Lucy in. So if you haven't met her, she's a fireball, and I love her so much. Um, In fact, when we had Lucy, we were incredibly blessed. Uh, One of my friends, Amy Bayless, threw the most insane baby shower. It was like 150 people all in her backyard for a barbecue, and I had like clothes and diapers for a whole year. So if you're planning on having a child, I just, you know, suggest that. The church is amazing. We love to buy baby gifts. So throw a whole party that we can come to and we will buy you baby things. Um, So uh, all that to say, like, we were in a good spot. Like, if people saw where we were in the positions that we were in, they'd be like, yeah, like, that's good. But we really felt like God was calling us. Um, We knew that he was calling us to Arizona, and it looked crazy, but we knew that that's where it was. And um, I was super, super excited. I remember the moment we put our house up for sale in our first open house. It poured down rain the entire day. Welcome to Washington. Um, But... I was so excited for this new adventure. I mean, I had never moved more than 10 miles away from my parents' childhood home, which they still live in like 40 years later. Um, I had never broken out of the bubble of the friends that I had made. I had all these Christian friends, but I didn't know anyone who wasn't a Christian. So I had all these like expectations and excitements for moving down here and what my life was going to look like. Um, But then we moved down here. And um, I honestly didn't expect the things that I experienced, Um, the extreme loneliness and isolation when we moved down here. Um, I didn't expect that this picture that I had in my mind of what we were coming to and what life was going to be like was really not anything like what we actually got when we moved here. It was all different. I couldn't have expected that. And then the one that crushed me was I couldn't have planned that my daughter, who was bubbly and fun-loving and a perfect sleeper and just the best little one-and-a-half-year-old would turn into the most miserable person you had ever met on the planet. Um, She went to bed crying every night. She woke up crying every day, and so did I. It was a difficult season for us, and I spent a lot of days and a lot of nights just like on my knees before the Lord saying like, 
God, why? Why on earth are we here? Why am I doing this? How on earth am I supposed to care for this child who I want to love fiercely with all of my heart, but I also just want to, like, put her in her room and then just be like, okay, the crying is going to leave there. <laughs> like, I didn't know what to do. And I, have you ever been in that point where you've been on your knees like, God, why am I still single? Like, I desperately want companionship. Or God, like, how on earth am I supposed to go to school and go to work and do all these things? God, why can't I financially get my life together? Why am I going through this? And in those moments, someone comes up to you and they say, don't worry. God will never give you more than you can handle. I mean, if someone said that to me in that point in my life, you would have like, had to, like, hold me back from punching someone or something. But um, it's hard because you know that that person is trying to be encouraging. They're not saying that to you because they're like, well, yeah, just get it together. He's not going to give you more than you can handle. Come on. No, they're trying to encourage you. But the reality of this phrase is that it is a cliche. It is not truth. I want to tell you today that there is a God who loves you, that there is a God who is victorious and powerful, and he is fighting for you, and he is in your corner. So if you're joining us today, this is the third installment of our God Never Said That series, and so today we are going to be talking about just that, that God never said that he's not going to give you more than you can handle. Um, So I think it's good to look at where does this phrase actually come from. And it comes from a verse in 1 Corinthians, it's chapter 10, verse 13, that says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So this verse is actually about temptation. It's not at all about the trials of life. This is a very good verse. It basically is saying like when we became Christians, when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, he gives us the Holy Spirit. And in those moments in our life when we're places we should not be or saying things we should not be saying or doing things we should not be doing, God intervenes. It's that moment when you feel like, oh, like, I, I don't think I want to be here right now. Or it's like, I mean, I was talking to my friend Gillian about this the other week. I was like, you know, I was thinking about what I said. I should not have said that. And I have to come back and be like, the Holy Spirit convicted me. So really, that verse is a very good verse, but it has nothing to do with the difficult trials and the hard things in life that we go through. So when people are saying this, yeah, they're trying to be encouraging. And you think like, all right, well. Is it really that big of a deal? Like, yeah, just let them have their fun little cliche. But the reality is that it is actually a very dangerous thought. When someone says that to you, you might be able to brush it off, but it communicates some things to your heart. One, it communicates that God's up there in heaven heaping troubles on your head. If God's never going to give you more than you can handle, then he must be the one giving you the things that he thinks you can supposedly handle. Or he's giving me these trials so that I'll be a better follower of Jesus or that I'll cling to him more. You know, it's like, well, Katie hasn't really been reading her Bible very much lately, so maybe we'll just sprinkle some isolation on her and she'll come running right back to me. 
Or maybe, you know, God is trying to punish me because I'm not strong enough. Like, if I'm going through a really difficult season in my life and I'm like, literally, I can't handle this on my own, maybe God is trying to punish me. He'd be like, yeah, you should be stronger. You should be able to handle this. But the reality is that that is not the character of God. That is not the God that we serve. That is not the God of the Bible. Our God is gracious. Our God is merciful, and our God is loving. First and foremost, the Bible says that God is love. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God loves us, and he is a God of mercy. We do not have to earn it. We do not have to prove it to him. He loved us before we said the sinner's prayer and asked him into our heart. It wasn't like he was waiting for that moment. And he's like, okay, now I love you. No, Jesus came and died while we were all still wretches. He loves us. We can't earn it. We cannot prove ourselves to God. And so God is not in heaven heaping troubles upon your head. That is not a loving God. I think one of the best representations of the myth and of the falsity of this myth is Jesus himself. Um, there's this really incredible portion of scripture um, in uh, Luke, but it's a time in Jesus's life. He's nearing the end of his earthly ministry. He knows that he's about to be given up, that Judas has uh, given him up to the Jews and to the Romans, that he's going to go on trial and that he's going to eventually be crucified. And he, he's praying to the Lord in heaven. And in Luke 22, 42 through 44, it says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. That scripture is so powerful. Was the cross more than Jesus could handle on his own? I think that when we realize that Jesus was not only fully God, but Jesus was also fully man, and he had to deal with all the same things that we deal with, but he was perfect that should take some weight off your shoulders that he even was like, yeah, God, this is more than I can handle on my own. The Lord sent an angel to strengthen him in the garden before he had to fully make this decision. He was like, God, are you sure there's no other way? If this cup can pass for me, I would like that. Jesus knew that the cross was going to be more than he could handle on his own. Let that sink in. Let that take weight off your shoulders. So then if God never said that he wouldn't give us more than we can handle, then what did he say about the trials and the difficult things of life? And I actually want to go to the same time period in Jesus' life, but looking through a different gospel. And it's in the book of John. This is one of my favorite portions of scriptures. It has one of my all-time favorite verses. One of the first ones I ever tattooed on my body. That's how much I love it. Um, but he takes this time to really speak honestly with his disciples. So, again, he knows it's coming. He knows he's about to be crucified. He knows that things are about to get difficult. And that's what he wants to tell them. He tells them that life being a Christian, life being a follower of Christ... 
it is going to be difficult. This says that they're going to throw them out of the synagogues. It says that people will kill them thinking that they are doing the will of the Lord. But at the end of this, at the end of his conversation with his disciples, he puts one of the most encouraging phrases, I think, in the Bible. It's John 16, verses 33. It says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus says it. Problems are inevitable. I think every single person in this room and on the face of the planet would say, yep, problems are coming. No matter, I don't know when, but they're coming. They're inevitable. But the best thing about it is that God never meant for us to deal with those struggles and those hard things alone. Just as Jesus cried out in the garden for God to strengthen him, that same God is in our corner. He says that he loves us as much as he loves Jesus. That God is in our corner. He wants us to know that he's with us, that he's fighting the battle with us, and we are to take heart because he has overcome the world, and Jesus has the ultimate victory. So when we proclaim Jesus as our Lord, we get salvation. That's yours. No one can take that away from you. But then you still need to know, okay, There are still going to be trials and difficult things in life. So in the context of I am a Christian and I have salvation, how do I walk through that? What has God given me? And and in order to walk through that, I think first we need to have this overarching idea that we know that there is an enemy who wants to come against us. God is good, but we are still going to be persecuted by the enemy. It says um, in John 10, 10 begins by saying that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But God is in our corner, and Jesus has the last word. And in that end of that verse, he says that he has come that we may have life and have it abundantly. We may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus didn't come so that you could live mediocre life where you're constantly overwhelmed and frustrated. He came so that you may have life and have it abundant. So the first thing that we need to do when we decide or when we figure out how to walk through the trials of life is that we need to declare that God has the victory and that he's in our corner. Jesus defeated death. He defeated the grave. He overcame the power of sin for us, and he took our sin and our shame on his shoulders. He is victorious, and we get to share in that victory. So we learn in Scripture that not only is that true, not only do we have that salvation, but God didn't give us eternal life and then just be like, okay, enjoy the world. Have fun on your own. (laughs) Bye-bye. God has given us everything we need to face the real difficulties of life. He equips us to fight the fight well. If you were going to go into battle, you would take advantage of every single piece of equipment, every single piece of armor that you could, everything that was available to you. And when you're facing the real difficult situations in your life, you don't need cliché. You need truth. You need the truth of the gospel, and you need the truth of God's word. God has given you armor for this battle. Did you know that? 
There is an incredible set of armor in God's word. In fact, I'm going to read that for us right now. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance. So first, we declare that God has the victory and that he is in our corner. And secondly, we put on the armor of God, which will defend us from the attacks of the enemy. Now, if you're like me, you've probably never worn a full suit of armor. Um, I mean, unless you're like into role playing and you're like really, really into it. Um, cosplay, I'm sorry, it's the wrong word. You know what I mean. Um, yeah, unless you're one of those wonderful people, um, I have never seen a full suit of armor nor put one on. And so I thought I would break this down for you because truthfully, if someone looked at me and they're like, yeah, put on the full armor of God, that's how you extinguish all those things. I'd be like, okay, how? How do I put on the armor of God? So we are going to go through all of the things that Paul lists in this letter. It says, first, we are to put on the belt of truth. So the belt is what held everything together. It was what the soldier would put on before he put on the rest of his armor so that he could move more easily. So we must first choose to live in integrity and in the truth of who Christ made us to be. When we became Christians, we became new creations, and God meant for us to live in wholeness with him. And so we must choose first to live truthfully and to live with integrity, and that's how we put the belt on. Secondly, we put on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate was meant to protect the vital organs of any soldier. It was very hard, and it would, it would protect them, um, but when we declare Jesus's God's righteousness over our lives because the breastplate of light righteousness is not our righteousness it is the righteousness of God technically we probably don't have any but God has all of the righteousness and he justifies us through that the great exchange is when we give Jesus our sin and our shame and in return he gives us his righteousness. So when God looks at us, he doesn't see any of that stuff. He sees us justified by the blood of Jesus Christ and we have received Jesus's righteousness. So we put on that breastplate of righteousness so that when things come against us to be like, well yeah, this is happening to you because you struggled with sexual sin. Or, yeah, this is happening to you because you yelled at your kids. Like, that is not what God sees when he sees us. He doesn't see our sin. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Then our feet are sandaled with the readiness for the gospel of peace. 
the boots that they wore are those, like, you know, you've seen all the, like, famous pop stars wearing them that they have, like, the million straps that go all the way up. I have literally never even attempted to put one of those pairs of shoes on because I just think it would take way too long. But, you know, props to all of you guys that have rocked those. They look amazing, so I'll just say that. But um, their sandals on the bottom would have these nails in them so that when they stood, they stood firm. They were rooted. They were not easily slid into places that they shouldn't. They could have traction and move more quickly and move more easily. The gospel, the good news that Christ came for you is what will bring you peace. It's what will root you in those moments when you feel like chaos is coming against you. You are able to stand firm because you have the gospel of peace firmly rooted in your heart. So by doing that, you're able to put on the sandals. Fourth, we take up the shield of faith. I love this verse. It says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. The shield was not, or excuse me, the shield was meant to not only stop the arrows, but it was meant to extinguish them so that when they came against the soldiers, they didn't then start a fire on the ground. They extinguished them before they could do any danger. When we take up our faith in God, who he says he is and who he says we are, we are able to protect ourselves from the enemy and all the things that he would throw at us. He would tell you that you're not good enough. He would tell you that you're, you're never going to be enough. But Jesus came so that we would. He came to protect us. Our identity is in Jesus Christ. So when we take up faith, we literally take up Jesus in front of us who deflects all of the arrows of the enemy and of the evil one. Christ came and died for us. And he takes that arrow and he smashes it into the ground. Jesus is our protection. He stands between us. So when we have faith in who Jesus is and who he made us to be, we take up the shield of faith. Then we put on the helmet of salvation. The helmet that these soldiers wore, it would completely cover their head. So it would go all the way down a part of their neck. It would cover a part of their shoulders. It would cover their nose and their cheekbones. It was meant to give them that really intense feeling of security. Because when you put that on, it kind of shuts out the outside world, and it gives you that, that feeling of security. So when we take up the helmet of salvation, the salvation that no one can take from you, the salvation that cannot be robbed from you, and we say, we know that we have salvation in this life and in eternity, we take up that helmet of salvation and we have confidence we can say, okay, God, I know that there's stuff coming against me, but I know that at the end of the day that I am saved. I know that you're with me, and I know that no one can take that away from me. We choose to claim God's victory and our salvation through Jesus Christ. Well, you may have noticed the theme here with all of the pieces of armor that we talked about so far. All of them are for defense. We claim the truth which holds us together. We are justified with the righteousness of God. We stand firm in the sure footing of the gospel of his peace. Our faith in Jesus Christ and what he did for us protects us from any attack of the enemy. And we secure our minds by knowing that we are saved now and forever through Jesus' sacrifice. But God just doesn't put us on the defense. He's in our corner that whole metaphor is like you're a boxer in the ring. The, the guy in the corner is encouraging you. He's helping you to fight the good fight. 
Battles are not just one with armor. You don't just walk out to the battlefield and be like, cool, I'm ready to go. I got my armor on. <laughs> like, you need an offensive weapon. Our God is the God who fights battles. Our God is the God with angel armies. They don't just go out there and stand there. They go out there and they fight. So first, we declare that God has the victory and that he's in our corner. Secondly, we put on the armor of God, which defends us from the attacks of the enemy. And third, we take up the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives to fight. We are told to take up the sword of the Spirit, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. God's Word, word is powerful, and it is truth. The Holy Spirit inspired it. And did you know that when you became a Christian, not only did you receive salvation, but you received the power of the Holy Spirit? He lives inside of you. The Holy Spirit that inspired this word lives inside of you. Jesus promised when he left earth that he would bring another. In fact, he said, it's better that I go so that when I go, the helper can come. The Holy Spirit is able to be with us anywhere, anytime, any place. He is our encourager. He is our, our, he fights for us. He is the spirit who lives inside of us. So when we pick up the sword of the spirit, we speak God's word and we speak his truth over our lives. Sometimes you'll hear people praying the word of God over and over. And I know I, I personally have had a season in my life where I prayed, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That is, that is truth that is in scripture. But I would pray it over and over again. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And it's not because it's like a magic spell or anything, but it's because it is true. It's true that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. I know that the spirit lives in me. And so I declare his freedom over my life. I say, devil, you have no place in me. Anxiety, you have no place in me. Sexual sin, you have no place in me. The spirit of the Lord is able to break those chains that the devil would try and put on you. I pray over my heart and over my mind that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Sometimes we think I'm worthless. Psalm 139, for you formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. God loves you. You're not worthless. I'm not worthless. When I feel that coming up in my mind, I pray God's word over it and it defends me and it attacks the enemy. When I think I have no future, where is my life going? What am I doing? I pray Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. Would you stand with me this morning? Ultimately, this armor is God's armor. It's not by our own strength or might. It's by God's strength and by God's might. It's not our words, but God's words. God's not telling you like, hey, go ahead and put on this armor and then you can go and do all the things that, you know, you think you can't handle because then you'll be able to handle it. 
No, God is victorious and he is fighting on your side. He is invested in you. He sent his son to die for you. He's not just gonna leave you. He wants you to win. He wants you to fight with the tools that he has given you. The truth is that we will face many things in life that will be more than we can handle on our own. And that's why God sent his son. That's why he's given us the Holy Spirit to dwell inside of us. It's why he's given us these precious and powerful gifts. That's why we have the armor of God. Because when you are facing hard, real things, you don't need cliche that will not help you. You need the truth, which is that God loves you. He's in your corner and he's fighting with you. Jesus says that in him, we may find peace. In him, we may have victory. Despite trials, despite hardship, peace can be found in a Savior who loves us and gave up everything for us. He has overcome the world. He is victorious, but he calls us to be victorious with him, to be his fellow conquerors. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Close your eyes. Many of you are walking through situations that you would say, I can't handle on my own. And this morning, I wanna give you the opportunity to take those battles and to choose to pick up and put on the gifts that God has given you to remember that he loves you and that he's with you and to fight with God victorious on your side. You need to declare God's victory over your life. You need to rest in the defense of the armor that God has given you. And you need to pick up the sword of the spirit in a moment, I'm gonna invite you to come up and receive prayer. But I just wanna take a moment. So one, you need Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If you're here this morning and you don't know him and you're fighting these battles on your own, I want you to know that Jesus loves you. He died for you and he wants to fight with you. So one, you need Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Or two, you're overwhelmed and you need God to lift the weight off your shoulders. And three, I wanna invite you to come. Come receive prayer. We're gonna play some uh, worship and God, Josh is gonna lead us. But I just wanna invite you to come up right now. If that's you, if you'd say, you need Jesus as your Lord and Savior, or two, you're overwhelmed and you need God to lift the weight off. Three, I want you to invite you right now, come up front. We wanna pray for you.